for many of us, hope is simply a word to reflect wishful thinking or blind optimism. When we say, I hope so, it means that we have a desire for something to occur, but we don't have an assurance that that something, whatever it is, will occur. And so we say, I hope so. As we have discovered, however, throughout our study in First Peter, hope in the Bible is so much more. We have defined hope as a bedrock guarantee of a future inheritance rooted in a past event. And the precious epistle we have been studying for a number of weeks now, it's been a word of hope to these precious saints in the midst of painful personal persecution. Peter has been seeking to help them trace the rainbow through the rain of their personal storms. For these first century saints, the rain has been falling, the wind has been blowing, and everything in their lives that has not been nailed down seems to be coming apart. And they are in desperate need of hope, not wishful thinking or blind optimism, but a bedrock guarantee that there is more to this life than what they see with their eyes and touch with their hands. And Peter has been providing them with this hope. But as we come to the session tonight, I want to remind you Peter is not writing from the ivory tower of some theological institution, isolated and insulated from the winds of adversity. He's writing from his own painful personal experience. Peter is a living example of managing to survive the storms of life and come out on the other side. He, in his own personal life of failure, has been able to trace the rainbow of God's grace through the rain of personal suffering and adversity. So before we dive into 1 Peter, uh, the fifth chapter tonight, I want us to take a moment to go back and remind ourselves of Peter's own painful personal experience uh, of the storm that Peter faced. You will remember Peter has experienced the storms. In fact, they had rocked his world. They had blown him off his moorings. We go back to Luke, the 22nd chapter, and we have shared this in several of our sessions, but it's a reminder of Peter's incredible failure. When the rain fell and the wind blew and Peter was blown away by his storm. It comes in Luke 22, the narrative, the disciples have just met with Jesus in the upper room and they're arguing over who is the greatest. They, they've talked about the kingdom of God coming through Jesus and now they're arguing over which of them will be the greatest in this new kingdom. We remember that Peter was brash, arrogant, boastful. He was the one who said, even though all of these others may fall away from you, I will never fall away from you. Lord, I will die for you. And yet in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, we find this tragic prediction by the Lord Jesus 
Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. I want to stop there, and, and I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission. That's the part I want you to hear, to sift you like wheat. Nothing comes in our lives from the enemy that God himself does not allow. God is sovereign. God is powerful, and God could stop those storms if he chose to do so. So whatever happens in our lives happens because of God providing permission for them to happen. That does not mean that everything that comes in our lives God causes to happen, but it does mean that God has a bigger plan than what we can see this side of eternity. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Listen to the next phrase. And you, when once again, when once you have turned again, what is the implication? The implication is that, Peter, you're going to fail. I've prayed for you. I've not prayed that you will not fail. However, I have prayed that after you fail, what I'm about to say occurs. When once again you have turned strengthen your brothers. Peter, you're going to fall. I'm telling you, you're going to fall. You're going to fall, but I have already prayed for your restoration, that after you have fallen, you are restored again. I know it's going to happen. I'm stating it as a fact in your life, and when you are restored again, here is my commission to you. Strengthen your brothers. And those of us who have studied the word of God know, tragically, that prediction became reality. When Peter followed from a distance and Jesus was taken in for an interrogation and he gathered by the fire and a simple peasant girl said, aren't you one of his? Which led to Peter's denial, not once, not twice, but three times. The same apostle who had said, I will never abandon you. I will die for you. Stood three times and denied he knew the Lord Jesus. Peter fell. In that moment, Peter fell. However, Jesus said you will fall, but when you have been restored. We see that in John chapter 21 after the resurrection. And the apostles have gone fishing. And they spot Jesus on the shore. I find it interesting that there's twice in Scripture that Peter got in the water to get to Jesus. Once when his faith failed him and he fell and got wet. And this time when he saw from the boat that it was the Jesus on the shore and he was not going to wait, he dove in the water and swam to the shore. After that celebration and that experience, we are told in John chapter 21 that Jesus turned to the big fisherman and said, Simon, son of John, again, he didn't call him Peter the Rock, he used his given name. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this is the part that had to cripple P Peter. Do you love me more than these? Peter had boasted, I love you more than everyone else, and if they abandon you, I'll never abandon you. Well, who abandoned him? Peter did. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That had to cut to the core of Peter's 
being. When Jesus asked that question, do you love me more than these? He used the Greek word agape, a selfless, sacrificial, all-consuming kind of love. Peter, do you still boast that you love me more than the rest of these? Do you love me with a selfless, sacrificial, all-consuming kind of love? And Peter responded, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter uses the word phileo, a familial, family, brotherly kind of love. He doesn't use the word gape. He says, God, this is the love that I'm capable of. And I'm humble enough to admit that this is the love that I have. I phileo you. I love you with a brotherly, passionate kind of love. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Second time. Jesus says to Simon, son of John, do you love me? He drops the more than these, but he says, do you love me? Do you agape me? And Peter pleading said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And then the third time Jesus poses the question. He says, Peter, do you phileo me? It's almost as if the Lord Jesus said, Peter, you've spoken truth. I see that the pride, the arrogance, the boastfulness is gone. And now you have put yourself in a position to truly be used by me. Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And all three times he gives him the commission, feed my sheep. What does a shepherd do? He protects, he provides. He guards and he undergirds the sheep. Now I ask you, isn't that exactly what Peter has done in this epistle? <laughs> he has sought to protect God's people. He sought to provide encouragement to God's people. He has sought to undergird God's people. And in this epistle, he seeks to guide God's people. It is almost as if Peter has said, I'm looking at my own experience. And I have seen my failure, the storm that I faced, and how God, in the midst of my own personal storm, allowed me to trace the rainbow through my personal storm. And now I'm taking my own personal experience, and I'm sharing with you, this can be done. God can help you trace the rainbow through the rain of what you are going through. And now with those experiences seared into your mind, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5. You thought I'd forgotten that we're studying 1 Peter. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Notice that first phrase, after you have suffered for a little while. God did not remove the storm from Peter's life. And it is very clear from the text that Peter is telling these precious saints in the midst of their suffering, I'm not coming alongside as, as some priestly Pollyanna telling you that everything's going to be great. I'm telling you that these storms are going to come. They're going to hurt. You are going to face them. After you have suffered for 
a little while. And think about Peter's own experience. He went from betrayal to brokenness, but that brokenness put him in a position for usefulness. And God was going to do the same for these precious saints. You see, God's goal is not our happiness. It was not their happiness. God's goal for them and for us is our holiness. He is not shaping us for here. He is shaping us for the hereafter. And Peter has been reminding them that a worthy focus on the hereafter would sustain them in the here. Amen? It is summed up in that word we have used multiple times, sanctification. The process of moment by moment, day by day, being conformed to the image of Christ in our character and our conduct. That God was doing his sanctifying work in their lives through these storms, making them less of what they were and more of what God intended them to be. He wasn't shaping them for here. He was shaping them for the hereafter. And so Peter's final words are an incredible reminder to these suffering saints that what God has been doing in their lives, what God had started in their lives, he will complete. Look at the verse again. After you have suffered for a little while. And then look at the rest of verse 10. The God of all grace. I love that phrase. The God who saved you by grace. Grace simply defined as God's riches at Christ's expense. For by grace you've been saved by faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And what Peter is saying as he comes to the in ending of this letter of encouragement is the God who has sustained you by his grace, as he did the apostle himself, is the God who will continue to sustain you until he has ultimate, ultimately completed his work in you. I think about the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter we find an incredible event that Paul experienced where he says he was caught up to the third heaven in which God revealed to him things that men are not permitted to hear or see things that men are not permitted to see. But then he goes on to say this incredible, overwhelming, heavenly experience so that I didn't grow proud. Is that a word we'd associate with Peter? God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And then he says three times over the course of 12 years, he asked God, he pleaded the Lord to take the pain away, to take the thorn away. And we find in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he has said to me, this was God's response to Paul's plea, please take it away. God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. God said to Paul, and he's saying to these saints, my question is not, are you strong enough for me to use you? My question is, are you weak enough for me to use you? Are you going to take that place of weakness in your life? And are you going to allow that place of weakness in your life to be a place where I demonstrate 
my strength, my power, my glory in you and through you. And that's the question for every one of us. Not just for these first century saints, that's the question for every one of us. The question is not, are we strong enough for God to use us? The question is, are we weak enough for God to use us? Is there a place of weakness in our lives that God can use as a platform upon which to build his glory, his greatness, and his power in our lives? The God of all grace. And then Peter goes on to say, who has called you, called me, called we to his glory in Christ. Now, beloved, we are not made for here. We are made for the hereafter. And we talked about this in one of our early, early sessions at the very beginning of this precious epistle, where we are told that he referred to these individuals not as beloved, not as brethren, not as saints, not as believers, but as aliens. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 tells us our citizenship is in heaven. This world is not our home. We are strangers, sojourners, alien in a foreign land. Citizens are, are the people who have a legal residence in a particular place. Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in the hereafter. And Peter is reminding them of the glorious truth that we do not live for here. We live for the hereafter. And God is not shaping us for the here. God is shaping us for the hereafter. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, I love that phrase, will himself, our sanctification is so important to God that he doesn't task it to anyone else. God himself will strength, will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see, God is so invested in us, he gets personally involved in the transformation of us. And then we see those great words there in 1 Peter chapter 5, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, what will God do in our lives? Will himself perfect. That means to bring to wholeness. The implication is something that was broken, that is to be restored. It's the same Greek word that was used uh, in the Gospels to talk about the mending of nets. That is what God will do for us. What the storms of life have broken, God will rebuild. Will himself perfect, confirm, that is, make to stand fast. The winds may blow, but God will keep us from being blown away. Will confirm us, will strengthen us. Now you go back to Paul. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, when I am weak, then I am strong. And for that reason, I will boast in my weaknesses. That's what Peter's talking about right here. God will take that place of weakness and he'll use it as an opportunity to demonstrate his strength, his power, his glory in our lives. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, 
and establish you. That is to lay as a foundation in your life so that you and I may be able to say with confidence, I may tremble on the rock, but I know the rock never trembles under me. Now notice in verse 10, the strength, the power, the immovability of the child of God. Not only has God not abandoned them or us in the midst of the storm, here he has been reshaping them for the hereafter. And I wrote these little sentences down that I think are so important. I just want to read them to you. Thus say I not the Lord, what the storms of life have broken, God will rebuild. What the storms of life have shaken, God will hold steady. What the storms of life have weakened, God will strengthen. And that is why, why we can declare with confidence and conviction in the midst of the storms, I will stand strong. And then Peter takes just a moment to acknowledge those who have stood alongside him in his labor for the Lord. In verse 12, through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter acknowledges Silas or Silvanus, that faithful brother who is delivering Peter's words to these precious saints. He's saying, I want you to understand that what Silvanus is bringing to you is my word. He is a faithful brother. He's a trustworthy brother. And for that reason, what he is bringing to you as an eyewitness is a testimony to you that my words are true. So you can take these words of mine and you can take them to the bank. You can rely on them. You can lean on them. You can stand strong on them because they are my words and Silvanus is my eyewitness. And then in verse 13, she who is in Babylon chosen together with you sends you greetings and so does my son Mark. It is widely believed that the term or the word Babylon is a reference to Rome. And that's where Peter was. Well, if Peter is in Rome and he's referring to the believers in Rome, then why doesn't he just say, I'm writing from Rome and the people here with me uh, in Rome greet you? Well, think about the persecution that these saints are enduring. Remember, we said this is in or around 64 AD. Nero has made it his personal mission to exterminate Christianity from the face of the earth. Now, why would Peter draw attention to the saints in Rome knowing that's the first place Nero would go if he got wind of this word, he would go looking for those saints. And especially if he knew that the great apostle Peter was there among them. And so he uses this code term <coughs> to say, those precious saints who are around me here in Rome, and I'll call it Babylon, that city, so that Nero doesn't know who I'm talking about, but you do. They extend greetings to you. They comfort you. They encourage you. They pray for you. And then in verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. It was a common greeting in the first century world, the kiss of love. But in our vernacular, the point he's making is 
There should be love in the family of faith. There should be encouragement in the family of faith. There should be unity in the family of faith. We should stand by, with, and for one another in the midst of the storms. Because united we stand, divided we fall. Let's stand together and through our witness to a watching world, draw them to the Jesus Christ who sustains us. We'll see you next session. This study through God's word is a study for scuba divers. As I shared in our introduction, there are two approaches to God's word. You can approach God's word as a snorkeler, or you can approach God's word as a scuba diver. Snorkelers stay on surface. They get a panoramic view of what's in the word. But the scuba diver goes deep. He immerses himself in the water and he finds the treasures buried among the reefs below. We want to help you find the treasures of God's word by going deeper. And I hope that we have accomplished that. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Word power media ministry, our email address, wordpowermm at gmx.com. Also, if you have a prayer request, please feel free to reach out to us. Our team would love to lift that prayer uh, to the Lord on your behalf. We consider ourselves family. You have never been in a room with us face to face, but if you've joined us in this journey through God's word, we consider you family, and we want to do everything we can to encourage you and to minister to you. Thank you.